Now, several years ago, there was a, a popular TV show called Candid Camera. Some of you may be familiar with this. We're not going to have a show of hands or at this campus or at Union because you might date yourself a little bit. Because we're about to show you a two-minute video that took place in 1962, right? So Candid Camera was, uh, is funny now. It was definitely funny then. And what you're going to see is very, very interesting when it comes to human behavior. And we can all relate to this to a certain degree. And so if you're not familiar with what Candid Camera is, this is going to be like an elevator scene where there's a, a group of actors. All of them, except for one person, is an actor for Candid Camera. So we're going to see this one person, uh, how they respond to the behavior of these other actors. Check it out. Uh, that's unbelievable, right? You're like, really? I mean, this is kind of a scary thing. I mean, it's you know, embarrassing for the poor guy once he finds out afterwards. Like, oh, okay, thanks for that. That's the nature of Candid Camera. But it's very interesting, the lengths at which we will go when it comes to the power of conformity. And oftentimes we go to those lengths without even realizing it. This is the power of influence. Now, what's really interesting on a you know, human behavior level is our desire, the power of the desire within us to belong, almost every single time will supersede even the desire to change. And so what that means is we will tend to veer toward the places in which we are accepted regardless of the behavior or the character of those people that we're finding a sense of belonging with. We probably see this play out at the most pinnacle level at the middle school age, right? Parents, and you've navigated this with your middle schooler, and you, know, you want your kids to have a good, good peer group, good positive influences, and they just kind of end up veering toward maybe a group of friends that you wouldn't necessarily pick for them, and you wonder why they chose that group of friends. It's because they liked them. They accepted them. They said, here's a place for you. You belong, right? And it was regardless of the kind of behavior maybe that was taking place, right? They could even, maybe your middle schooler even rationally said, yeah, this isn't maybe, you know, the, the, the best kind of group based on the stuff that they get into, but they like me. They accept me. And so sometimes the power, the desire to belong can supersede the power of the, desi of the desire to even change or grow. That's something we have to be paying attention to. Why? Because who it is that we're connected to will determine how it is that we grow, or not. So the people that we surround ourselves with will determine our pathway to growth, right? A popular mantra we've all heard, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. The people that we surround ourselves with will determine where we end up in life and how much we grow or not. So in this video, you see the power of conformity, right? The unforeseen influence that takes place. Maybe I'm getting it wrong. <laughs> Maybe what, is, what I thought was the social norm isn't actually because everybody around me is starting to act in a different way. And so what we have to understand when we aim to grow is how God has in mind for us to take the lid off of our growth and to maximize our growth opportunity. What I mean is the way that God designed us, how he designed us to grow is through connection, not through isolation, now, I've mentioned, right, you know, in past messages, I love to, to learn through reading and, uh, you know, spending time alone, right? I'm an introvert, and so I enjoy that time and could spend long periods of time, you know, by myself and being perfectly comfortable. But I will still keep the lid on my personal growth if I don't choose to connect with other people and allow God to shape me in the way that he designed me to live out my growth by being refined and made sharper, so to speak, iron sharpening iron, you know, the scripture that we see, and allowing people to help me grow, but even beyond that, God, allowing God to use me to help other people grow. God created us to grow through connection, not isolation. Now, this isn't something we typically think of, but we all naturally understand. We are who we are today because of who we've been surrounded by, right? For better or for worse, and always both. 
you don't choose your earliest habits. You imitate them. Just this morning, right, I came in a little bit later so I could drive uh, to my wife and my seven-and-a-half-month-old to to church. And so, you know, we're in the bathroom getting ready. He's seven and a half months old. He doesn't know what's going on, but it's unbelievable what he's paying attention to. He's watching, right? And then we'll come a, a day and age, probably not too very far, too, too far down the road, where he's starting to do what he sees me do. This is how we develop early habits, is through imitation. And so it starts with your family, then it ends up being your classmates, your friends, your coworkers. You'll end up, we all will end up taking on the same behaviors without realizing it because of the power of proximity, that will determine how we end up changing, how we end up behaving. I saw this uh, play out in a really practical way, I believe, with my sister Paige. She's two years younger than me. We also have a younger brother, Stephen, so there's three of us. So my sister grew up with two siblings. She married Kevin, who grew up with two siblings, and they are currently pregnant with their fifth, like on purpose, like they chose that. What's it? <laughs> Props to them. That's awesome, right? Talk about role models, people that I look up to, like, wow, you are parents who wanted to have that many kids. You guys are amazing. I can't imagine, you know, having that desire in my life. And so that's, you know, props to them. But that wasn't their norm. And so they got to that point, right, because, you know, they're faithfully following Jesus and they believe that, you know, they could be good parents with a, you know, large number of kids. But what I think is interesting, and I haven't had this conversation with them, so, you know, don't pass the word, you know, it's confidentiality here, uh, they're processing, I'm, I'm curious, and they wouldn't say this out loud, but Kevin has a brother who has six kids, six boys. Yeah, right, you can't, can't even imagine it. <laughs> that was like, oh, I'm so, so sad for them. But uh, yeah, so they've seen this play out over the years. And so what happens when this becomes your normal family get-together is it becomes normalized perspective. Well, if they can do it, (laughs) they got six kids, five, that's one short. We can actually pull that off. This is the power of proximity when it comes to influence, what we end up normalizing because what we're constantly around. So who you choose to surround yourself with will determine how you grow. That's the reality no matter your life stage. But when we think about our purpose in life, we must realize that it works both ways. See, in this whole conversation, right, I know there's some first-time guests at both camps, you have to understand that we're not talking about becoming your best self now, right? That's too small. In fact, it's not even biblical. That's just settling for the American dream and living a life where we pile up our stuff, have, reach a sense of significance where others affirm our efforts, and we're like, wow, you lived a good life. No, we're, we're not interested in that. We want to look beyond that. And so my personal growth isn't even primarily about me. God wants to use my personal growth beyond me. So I want to pick up in Philippians chapter 2. We looked at verses 12 and 13 last week. Let me read those again. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So we've all been saved by God's grace alone. He covers us. We can't earn our way into right standing with God, right? Your right behavior can't get you to God. It's his grace alone. And out of the gratitude for that grace, there will be natural evidence of our salvation. Born out of the fear and trembling is the awe of God. Wow, I can't believe that God saved me. Yeah, that's, it's true. And so there's fear and trembling. That's a sense of awe. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. None of us can fulfill God's purpose for our lives without God working within us, giving us that focus, that motivation, that energy. So just catching everybody up to speed, that's what we focused on, right? The only way that we can change is God working within us. Now notice verse 14. It's always interesting, you know, when we connect certain scriptures, whether you're familiar with them or not, and you're like, wait, that's in the same, same passage? The very next verse, verse 14, says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. That would be one of the practical examples of evidence of you working out your salvation as you're focused on not grumbling or complaining or arguing. Verse 15, so that. It's not just so that you can 
not grumble or not complain and be a good person. No, so that you may become blameless and pure, right? That's the outcome of right character in God. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Now notice this. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky, right? In the world that we live in, the culture. Why should I be paying attention to shaping my character? It's not just so that I can become a good person. It's so I can shine like a star that God has in mind to appropriately reflect him. It's a high calling to follow Christ. You shine like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then he says, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. So we spend so much of our time wanting to boast now of who we've become and what we've done. But the, Paul, the author here, says the, the goal is to have a long view, an eternal view, so you can boast then the things that mattered. You actually lived a life that was worthy of God's calling. So your growth isn't just about you because your growth isn't just for you. My growth isn't just about me because my growth isn't just for me. I mentioned last week I got a membership at the YMCA. Right? It wasn't like, oh, can't wait to get a membership there. Don't, you know, don't enjoy that process of getting in shape, but I understand it's important right? You know, on a godly level and a relational level. And so just over a week ago, I'm on the little stair-stepper machine, right? which you know, is awkward, kind of the first time you do it, and you type in you know, some information there. And about 20 minutes in, the, little, the graphic on the screen popped up and said, you've burned enough calories to be able to walk across the Golden Gate Bridge. And there's a picture there. I'm like, well, that's really cool. But that's also depressing because it's yet another reminder of another place I'd rather be, you know, other than the stair-stepper right now. (laughs) Because, again, I don't enjoy that process. So what has to be my motivation if I'm actually going to get in shape and change? It can't be me, you know, just, you know, working on, you know, Beachbody, right? That's what you see in magazines. Like, oh, yeah, this is what you can do. You can get to the point. Like, you can look in the mirror and take pictures, right? Like, that's all good and fine, but it can't stop there. That can't be your primary motivation. Let me be be more practical. I'm 39 years old with a a seven-and-a-half-month-old at home. This is what we call a math problem, like <laughs> literally a problem. Now, I know there's more extreme examples, and you know, some people in between service like, oh, well, my dad. Well, okay, well, here's the deal. If I don't make it a point, a goal in my life to get in shape and take good care of myself, the consequence won't just be with me. It will be relationally. I won't be able to be there probably as long as I would like to be there for my family, right? And we don't know how the rest of our lives are going to go. But in the meantime, I'm going to do everything that I can that goes beyond me. I'm counting the cost. That's what I'm doing. And so I'm going to sacrifice now time, energy, and money for hopeful joy later, relationally. I'm investing in the future. This is why we're so bad at appropriate, developing appropriate habits and disciplines is because we want to sacrifice the now, right, and, and, and indulge in what can bring us what we want now because we consider now more valuable than later because it's what's right in front of us. This is why it's so difficult to navigate this path. And so we end up sacrificing the now and paying the consequence later. So my growth, your growth, isn't just about you. It's not just about me because our growth isn't just for us. So it begins, right? Again, recap, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God, right? That's been our aim up until this week. I'm connecting my activity to my identity and who it is that I belong to, right? So I'm not just working out. I'm not just eating, right? I'm not just traveling. I'm not just, you know, coming to church for the sake of becoming my best version of myself. I'm connecting my activity to my identity and who I belong to. It's all in gratitude and worship that I get to experience life at all because God has me in his hands. 
But we also have to understand how God wants to use my personal growth. How does it tangibly, practically go beyond me? Paul, in 2 Timothy, is writing to Timothy, his mentee, and he says this, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We've touched on that the last few weeks. The very grace of God is what gives us strength. But notice he says, verse 2, In what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust a faithful men who then will be able to teach others also. And so when I'm investing myself in, 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 in whatever it is I'm pouring energy into, it's not just so I can walk around saying, wow, I've become strong, healthy, I'm growing, wow, you know, look, at, look at how strong I've become. It's so that I can have a full tank to then, out of the overflow of that, pour into the lives that God has put around me. Someone once said this, you can talk about taking the long view, right? This is the high calling of following Christ. Someone once said, entrust the gospel, the good news to other people, die and be forgotten. It's kind of depressing. He says, if you do that, you will be forgotten on earth and celebrated in heaven. This is why I'm standing here today. I've been at First Church for 17 and a half years, right? I got my degree in counseling, thought I'd go this route. God put, placed me on this avenue, and I'm standing here today because I want that to be my testimony. And whether it's 50 years from now, 100 years from now, no one will know my name. And so legacy comes down to whether I'm not investing in the work that outlasts me. And so that I'm proud of being forgotten on earth, but celebrated in heaven because of how I've invested myself beyond myself. There is no more important endeavor. So apart from God, we understand we can't get there. We just can't get there. In fact, we began the series talking about the tree of Tenere. Right, and, you know, we have some first-time guests who weren't here a few weeks ago, but it's an isol- it was an isolated tree in Africa where uh, there were no other, it's an acacia tree, no other trees for 240 miles surrounding it. I think we have a picture there. And we mentioned that it goes, uh, the only reason, way it can survive is it goes 131 feet into the ground because that's how far it had to go to find the water. So this is where it begins, right? First week, we talk about growing deep. The only way that I can have life, the only way that I can grow is to work more on the roots that are underneath the surface than on what's above the surface, what is unseen versus what is seen. We get that backwards all the time. I have to go as far as I need to go to where the living water is. That's Jesus himself. And the practice of that is through Bible reading and prayer. So if you missed any of the messages, make sure and catch up. We have Bible reading plans. We want to give you a free Bible. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to connect with God. And there is nothing more important that you can do this year in your spiritual growth than to read your Bible, to connect with God that way. Now the overflow, have a, a growing prayer life. But again, it doesn't stop there. What's the why? Yes, I'm growing deep in my relationship with God, but the aim, the goal of spiritual formation is not to go home and spend the rest of your life reading your Bible and praying. Those are very good things. But that's the beginning, not the end. It goes further. To continue to grow in the way God desires, we must also be connected to others. So let's look at a different tree. It's very interesting in looking at the redwood tree. You know, a lot of California redwoods and sequoias out there in Northern California. And they're unbelievably tall. Some of them will grow up to 350 feet tall. Some of you have probably seen pictures like this before. There's other pictures you can find on the internet where there's like an opening in the middle with cars literally driving through. So 350 feet tall, that's very, very tall. And so naturally you would think that they would have a deep root system, just like the acacia tree, the the tree of Tenere, right? 131 feet into the ground. These don't. 350 feet tall, on average, their roots will only go about five or six feet deep. Now that's unbelievable. And if that was the end of the circumstance, those trees would 
would topple over, right? They would not be able to exist, so how can they? Well, here's why. Because their tree roots will extend up to 100 feet across. Why? To connect with other redwood trees. Their survival is dependent on each other. And those roots will go as far as they need to go to be able to connect with the other redwood trees. This is the essence of the church. This is why we call the church a family. This is what we see in scripture. This is God's design. Not that we would have buildings and services that people come to, but that we would live connected lives going through life together. Because if we're gonna take the lid off our growth, we can't live an isolated life, right? Like Bible reading and prayer, that's what it begins with. But it goes beyond us. We have to connect relationally with the people around us. We need each other in order to grow. So it's interesting, we look at the very first church in the book of Acts chapter two, the practical implementation of the essence of living interconnected lives. They simply were there for each other. Here's what we read. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They gathered and experienced God intentionally through these practices. And then it says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, right? Common focus, direction. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Talk about going above and beyond. This was their norm. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. By their gathering, by their connectedness, more people came to know the person of Jesus Christ. Right, because that can, that awe of ingratitude toward God is contagious, and so what they were what they were living out was this sense of community. What, what's interesting when you look at the Latin root word of community and you break it down into two parts, we'll see here on the screen, is one part means gift and the other part means together. And so, if we're going to live out a sense of community, right, interconnected lives, community literally means to give amongst each other. Community could be defined as a group of people who share gifts, which they provide to all. So why is it that I would be connected to other people? It's not primarily for the sake of what I can get out of it, but what I can give to it. I'm looking to invest myself. So this is why we place so much emphasis on being part of a small group, which we call life groups. So if you haven't been coming to First Church very long, uh, this is foundational to who we are as a church. We have multiple campuses, multiple services. It's easy to get lost in the shuffle. shuffle. It's difficult to connect even in between services. We do the best we possibly can to create those kind of environments for people to connect. But the way for us to grow together is to connect through everyday life. Right? So that's why we have small groups or life groups because we aim to do life together. Groups that meet weekly, groups that meet every other week for the sake of showing up and being a gift in each other's lives. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 I love the practicality of this, right? And this is the aim. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, discipline, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. I love that, right? Why, why, do, I, why do I keep showing up to this, this group of people, right? Week after week, on a continual basis. It's because I want to spur another on, and they do the same for me. The reality is we were made to be sent into the world, right, to be connected to the people around us. So I want to share a story of somebody who has lived this out, and and I love his his, his beautiful perspective. He's 37 years old, part of our church family, decided to be a part of a small group. 
let me clarify, his wife decided for them that they would be a part of a small group six years ago, right? So he's 31 years old at the time. And what I love about his perspective is the discipline that is reflected in this. Didn't have an ideal, maybe first-time experience, and that's, that's pretty common, right? Because you show up to a group of strangers, you're like, I don't know if I can be friends with them, but stuck with it. And so I love, uh, and I'm just going to read his words exactly, what he shared. He said, I grew up going to church because that's just what you did. I liked the church and the youth group, but I was just going through the motions and fulfilling my weekly obligation. My wife suggested that we look into a life group shortly after we started at First Church, and I quickly dismissed that as an option. A year or so later, our neighbors invited us to come with them to their newly formed life group. I had no desire to sit around and talk about my feelings. He said, because that's what I assumed a life group was. Somehow, she convinced me to go one Friday night. He said, this was another strike. It was on a Friday night. I told her that I would go, but I wasn't talking. <laughs> and I, I, was just, I was just going to sit there, right? Half of us guys, like, we could totally see ourselves saying that. Okay, okay, yeah, I'll go, I'll go. I'm not saying anything. That's what he said. He said, we went, and I did minimal talking. Overachiever, right? I did minimal talking, and I thought that was the end of it. I appeased her and went, so I assumed we could move on from the silly idea. For some reason, she wanted to go back. I begrudgingly went back the next week and the next. Something interesting happened. I didn't mind going. It wasn't three hours of sharing feelings, crying, hugging, and being pious. That's what all of us guys need to hear, right? He said, the people in the group were friendly and had similar interests as us. We fellowshiped, which I didn't realize just meant hanging out, reading the Bible, and following a study by Francis Chan. It turns out he's a pretty interesting guy. He said, what has happened over the last six years has been transformational. We didn't gain a group of good friends, but rather a bunch of new brothers and sisters, nieces and nephews. He said, it made a spiritual change in my life as well. He said, growing up Lutheran, I was baptized as a baby, and I thought I was all set. Inexplicably, one day during worship, I just started crying during This Is Amazing Grace, and I knew that I had to be baptized again. Being in a life group has affected all aspects of my life. Because of the weekly fellowship, Bible study, and prayer, I know that I'm a better husband and father. We get to do life with a group of people that love each other, pick each other up when they are struggling, and each week I get to hang out with men that show me what it looks like to be a great husband and father. They aren't perfect, but I know that they are striving to live like Jesus. He said, six and a half years ago, I couldn't imagine joining a life group. Now I cannot imagine not being in a life group. Every aspect of my life is better as a result. I have a much better understanding of what it means to walk with Jesus now. Every week, I look forward to the time we spend with our family. When we miss a week, it's disappointing. I love that because it's an honest, disciplined journey. Because that is a common story, right? And, right this is where this is going. You know where this is going. If you're not a part of a small group, life group, I'm going to ask you to, to, to join a life group. We're going to be doing those sign-ups the next two weeks. And I understand the reluctance. You're like, okay, I'm going to show up at somebody's house, and I don't know these people. And after that first week, it's like, I don't see myself being friends with them. I'm not going back. This was his story. It was the discipline of continuing to show up, knowing this is what God has called us to, to live connected lives, to grow alongside of each other, understanding that none of us are perfect, all of us have quirks, we're all going to get annoyed to a certain extent by certain people, but that's not the point. What, what, what happens when we continue to show up is God works in the unseen, and he shapes us, he adapts us, and we see ourselves as this imperfect gathering, this family, to use his words, that are going through life together full of grace for each other, helping each other practice even more grace. 
I mean, think, think about this practically, and all of us can relate. The people who will change you the most, the people who will help you grow the most, will not be authors or speakers or preachers or even coaches. Instead, it will be the people who choose to continually show up over time, maybe never doing anything dramatic or extraordinary, but always being there with you. <laughs> think about the people who have shaped us the most, right? They're not, they're not the most competent, the most talented, the most charismatic. They're simply the people who were there, who took interest in us. We get to be that in other people's lives. This is why the point is that being a part of, of a small group or even coming to church for that matter for what we can get out of it, but instead how we can be a gift to the other people that God is leading us to. Are we showing up to them? And, you know, and instinctively, many of us, probably most of us, like, yeah, I'm nothing special. I have nothing to offer. And so I want to share with you this quote that I think frames this proper perspective pretty well. If you feel quite weak and ordinary, if you feel like a mess but have the spirit, you have the right credentials. You are one of the ordinary people God uses to help others. <laughs> this is what I love about you know, what I get to do in having conversations with people who feel like they have nothing to offer. People who have even gone through the valley, gone through the trenches and feel like God isn't using them at all when the reality is he wants to leverage their very experience, their very struggle for the, primarily not just for the sake of them healing, but using their experience to help others heal. And so when we consider whether or not to be a part of a life group, the question is not, is this a right fit for me? But instead, who might be missing out on potential growth because I am not engaging in a small group? See, if you want to change, if you want to grow, we have to surround ourselves with people who have the habits that we want to have. Even better, joining a culture where our desired behavior is the normal behavior, (laughs) where people are really growing in the ways that we want to grow, and they're like, well, we're a couple steps ahead, and we're aiming at this together. See, when you join a group of people who have the same aim, your identity becomes linked to those around you. It's not just, here's who I'm trying to be, it's who... We are trying to to be. Here's who we are becoming together. Understand that growth and change is not an individual pursuit. Spiritual formation is not a solo sport, so to speak. And, you know, if you've been a part of a group, you understand that when you're connected to other people, belief that change is even possible is a whole lot easier, isn't it? Because there are certain days we wake up like, I don't know if I can pull it off. I don't know if I can become the kind of person that God wants me to become. We need the reminder of other people saying, no, God's doing a work in you. You can't see it, but we're in your life to let you know that he, he is. So if you're not currently a part of a, a life group, I want to encourage you to step into one. We're going to have small group registration uh, the next two weeks, or you can write on your connection card. If you're interested in a specific kind of life group, we'll follow up with information. And many of you already know this that have been coming, but we have men's groups. We have women's groups. Women's Bible studies already kicked off their signups out in the lobby, both campuses. Uh, We have young adult groups. We have singles groups. Uh, We have couples groups meeting every night of the week, all times, different locations. We have uh, groups uh, of people who are struggling with mental illness. Uh, We have a young couple uh, in their mid-30s. They're kicking off a brand new group, and they want to minister to other people like other people have ministered to them And as they navigate mental illness. If you have severe anxiety, depression, or something else, there's a group to look into. We have groups of people who are are dealing with uh, cancer, right? You've had cancer or you have cancer. We have groups that are formed for people to encourage, to minister to each other, to grow alongside of each other. If you've never been a part of a life group and you're still like, yeah, I'm not willing to make that jump, one, a bridge experience that we've created is a 10-week experience called Rooted, R-O-O-T-E-D. And this group exists for people who are quite, aren't quite ready to make that step because it's a limited time, right? It's just 10 weeks. 
And it's a, it's a, there's relational connection, but it's also high content. So maybe you're in a position, right, you're seeking, right, you know, in your faith, you're kind of searching, and you need some, you know, some, some tangible avenues of gathering just kind of truth and what, what this life is all about. So Rooted deals with some of those biggest questions. What's the point of church? What's the purpose of my life? Uh, why does God allow suffering? And so answer some of those big questions that all of us have. And so maybe you're at a point where you're like, okay, this is the best next step for me. And then you can kind of you know, catch a glimpse of what a life group would be all about. So you can just write the word rooted on your connection card, put it in the offering bowl when it goes through at the end of the service. Another one that I want to mention that I believe literally every single person should go through at some point is a nine-week experience called financial peace. Now, if, if you have any debt at all, this is where you, you know, need to take that next step and knock that out and be proactive. But financial peace is just essential as, as, for every single one of us, regardless of stage of life, to go through at some point. Because it's not about gaining information. It's not just about paying, about paying down debt, but it's a group experience where you're connected, you're surrounded by other people who, are, who have the same goals as you. And so we have this shared experience so that we can help each other succeed in that way. So we have a, a sign-up sheet at both campuses out in the lobby today. You can jump into that, or you can just write uh, that you want more information on the connection card, and we'll make sure and get that to you. But we have to understand as we consider what's next in my life, it has to be looking beyond myself, looking around me, right? What is God wanting to do in me? May it not just be for the sake of me. God wants to use you. He wants to use your story and your experience to help other people grow as well. So may we live the kind of lives where we care beyond ourselves, where we want to invest in kingdom things, eternal things that will outlast us so that we can all celebrate in heaven, understanding that we've spent the time to establish deep roots and interconnected roots, and we get it right. (laughs) We don't waste our time. We don't waste our life. We don't merely attend church. We show up to God with surrendered hearts, surrendered lives, say, God, shape us, guide me, help me to take that next step. I can't grow in my faith without you leading the way.